0: And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he he would not permit permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everybody is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go up, let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Shall we pray?
1: Our gracious heavenly father, we come to you, almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. Father, we trust you. You're a God who keeps your promises. Father, you have promised that you are working all things according to the purposes of your will. Father, we also confess that you are sovereign, you are good, you are wise, you are powerful. We confess that so easily we get distracted by the things that our eyes can see and the things that our minds can understand, and we doubt your promises. We whist- listen to the whispers of the enemy who questions the nature and character of our God, did God really say? Can God really be in control? Father, our hearts often doubt. Father, we give You thanks because You have not left us alone in this journey through this life, but You have given us a community of believers, brothers and sisters who love us and protect us and correct us and encourage us and guide us along this way as we travel together, pilgrims going towards the celestial city. Father, I thank You for the privilege of joining together with our brothers and sisters this morning to sing Your Word and to read Your Word, to confess our inability and to confess our need for christ father we thank you that it is not based on what we do or what our leadership does our family our abilities our intellect our credentials our securities our wealth our education but our safety and security is based on the completed word Work of Jesus when he uttered from the cross it is finished and father we thank you for the gospel that declares it is not what we do but is what Christ has done and because he has fulfilled the righteousness of the father he has defeated death by death itself we can go forth and respond to what Christ has done to live a life that reflects gratitude and thanksgiving and that we be, might become more like Jesus. And as we go down this journey and we realize the depths of sin that is lay hidden in the recesses of hearts of our hearts, and we see the holiness of God and Christ more each day, the cross becomes bigger and more beautiful and more precious to us. Father, I pray that You would give us lips that are quick to give You praise, to adore You, to give you thanks. And we are quick with our brothers and sisters, with our friends and neighbors and co-workers and countrymen that we would tell of Christ and what He has done, that we have a good King who has defeated our greatest enemy and we can live day to day trusting in where Christ is leading us through the deep, dark valleys uh, that cause our hearts to fear, And through the mountaintops that cause our hearts to rejoice, Christ, our good shepherd, is leading us. May we trust his promises each day and listen for his voice and call our friends and neighbors to follow the voice of the good shepherd. Father, give us ears to hear your word proclaimed according to the authority of your word through your preaching of it in the application of the Spirit for the glory of Christ, and for our satisfaction, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You're not over there. If you're not over there, turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll be looking at uh, verses 29 through 39. Um. Back in the, I think, mid to late 90s, uh, Charles Hummel wrote a short essay entitled The Tyranny of the Urgent. And he started with the question, and I think you've probably heard this question, have you ever wished for a 30-hour day, and I know I have, an extra six hours a day to get things done, to be able to do all those things that I want to get finished but I just don't have time for, to, to send a letter or an email that continually goes unwritten, to go visit a friend that, oh, the circumstances and the responsibilities of life prevent me from doing that, books that I want to read that sit and collect dust on my nightstand, and projects in my house Painting and and various home improvement things that I want to do, but have been sitting undone for much time. Six hours a day would cause us to be able to do a lot more things, right? I'm not so sure it would. Because if we were to get six more hours a day, that the things, the urgent things that crowd our life, uh, our 24 hours that we have now, those same things would demand our time of those extra six hours. And ultimately, we realize that as people, we are in constant tension between the urgent things that vie for our attention and our time and our priorities and the important things that don't have the same bells and whistles and that demand our attention. The important things that often go undone because the urgent things, the fires that we have to put out take urgency. Probably one of the best examples of this was Harry Chapin's famous song in 1974. For you non-millennials, you might remember this. Uh, For some of you Gen Xers that grew up um, listening to the oldie stations in your mother's car, driving back and forth to school, you might remember the song, The Cat's in the Cradle. It goes like this. My child arrived the other day. He came in the world in the usual way. There were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it. As he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you the story of the song continues he says my son turned 10 the other day he said thanks for the ball dad come on let's play can you teach me to throw no not today i've got a lot to do he said that's okay and he walked away and his smile never dimmed. he said i'm gonna be like you yeah i'm gonna be like you the song ends after several depressing verses and it gets worse and worse and the song ends with an aged father who is longing to see his grown son who is too busy to give him the time. The song ends with the haunting words, the kind of things that makes you want to pull your car over and go hug your kids. But he says, when you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I think Chapin's words are a sobering reminder of that our greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important things the urgent things have bells and whistles they have text messages and push notifications they beep and they have ring but the important things don't have deadlines and they don't have things that say hey look at me pay attention to me and they're often the most important things that we neglect and as christians we know how much the urgent things pull us away from the important things Our anxious to-do lists prevent us from spending time in prayer. I have all these things to do. I don't have time for prayer. The constant hustle and bustle of our daily life prevent us from reading Scripture. I've got too much to do just to sit down and read. Busy schedules prevent us from uh, listening to a lonely brother or going and helping a needy sister. Ocean Park, I imagine you know the struggles Because the important things don't have deadlines and notifications and alarms that demand our attention. Therefore, they go unintended and neglected and undone. How do you navigate the urgent things to get to the important things? Is there any way to escape from the tyranny of the urgent? I believe our text this morning, as I was reading through the life of Christ, the life of Christ in the kingdom of God gives us the priorities and points us in the right direction as we go. Because the priority of God's kingdom is the proclamation of the King. The priority of God's kingdom is the proclamation of the King. And we do that by serving the Lord. We do that by seeking the Father. And we do that by spreading the good news. The serving the Lord, seeking the Father, and spreading the good news. And as we look, how do we proclaim our King? It begins by serving the Lord and His people and those in need. Notice verse 29 and verse 30 as we go. And immediately, He, Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. Now, we are still, in the context of our text, we're still a day in the life of Jesus. Uh, earlier in the day, on the Sabbath, he has taken his newly called disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and they have gone to an early morning synagogue. It was there that Jesus, with power, um taught the Word of God and the the congregation was awestruck because of the power and authority he taught with. And he said, this is unlike the scribes who had a man-made authority. But it was the stirring power of Jesus that an unclean spirit who was in a man very much stood in fear before jesus christ the anointed one son of god who declared the kingdom of god is at heaven and the synagogue was in awe and utterly thunderstruck as an unclean spirit cried out to jesus who are you what are you doing here I know who you are, and in a word, Jesus silenced the demon, and the demon fled, and the people, not realizing the true identity, but realizing that this Jesus who stands in our midst, he is not like anyone we have ever experienced before, and they stood in awesome fear of who he was. Now, after Jesus leaves the synagogue with Peter and Andrew, James and John in tow, they leave the synagogue and they go immediately to Peter's house, where Peter's mother-in-law is laying ill with a fever. Now, to be able to understand the significance, because many of you are nurses and you understand that fevers are a symptom of something is wrong with your body, and therefore you have a fever that says, hey, look at me, there's something wrong. But first century people did not understand that. They believed that fevers themselves were the illness. And How would they at the time know any different? But in fact, the fevers also uh, represented a a bigger problem, a a spiritual dimension that many of the people would have believed at the time because in Deuteronomy, and we remember this from several years ago when we go through, part of the curse of the law and disobeying God is that God would bless the people if they were faithful to him for what he had done, bringing them out of bondage out of slavery saying therefore you shall have no other gods but he said if you obey my words and what i have done i will bless you and we read through the blessings were beautiful and they were just amazing but also there were curses but if you do not obey the voice of the lord your god or be careful to do all his commandment and then a few verses later it says the lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever Inflammation and fiery heat, a heat from heaven, and with drought and with blight and with mildew, they shall pursue, all, uh, pursue you until you perish. If the fever came from God's hand, only the hand of God could chase that fever away. Therefore, the disciples, knowing the need of Peter's mother-in-law, who lay ill in the house, brought the need to Jesus. They told Jesus about her. And notice in verse 31, And Jesus came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Jesus comes to the woman who is burning with a heavenly fever and takes her by the hand. A hand of compassion. It was the touch of Jesus in His compassion that caused the fever to flee. It literally says, the fever forsook her. When the Gospels often talk about fevers, it's a spiritual dimension that it's referring to. The compassionate touch of Jesus restored Peter's mother-in-law to health, to wholeness, to rightness. It was the gracious touch of Jesus that not only healed her, but gave her the strength to rise out of her bed and to be able to, with strength to serve. See, Mark, what he is doing is he's arranging these narratives together in this mosaic that when we step back, we see this awesome, picture of Jesus, the one with power and authority that strikes our hearts with reverent fear and we follow him, the anointed one of God, the very son of God, and we follow him as his disciples and he lays out in the text what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't simply mean to be an onlooker, it means to be Um, uh, encouraging about jesus to be able to get some tidbits about jesus it means to submit with mind and body and heart to the authority of jesus and follow him where he goes in the way that he has called us to follow him not because of what we do trying to earn our way but because what jesus has done and accomplished to set us free Because the hand of grace has reached out in our sickness that we could not heal and brought us health and given us strength by his mercy and by his grace. Christ has come in power and authority to set the oppressed free. His forgiving touch brings health and wholeness to souls diseased by sin. His gracious touch, touch removes strength to the spiritually exhausted. His loving power in, his loving touch imparts power to withstand the spiritual forces that rage in this world. His merciful touch sets o- the oppressed free from bondage. The power of Jesus saves. And transforms. And Peter's mother was just one of many that you would see. But it's amazing after the touch of Jesus, we see the response of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. In the end of verse 31, it says, The fever left her, forsook her, left her, and went, and she began to serve them. If we have been set by free, set free by Jesus, brothers and sisters, we have been called to a life of service whether it be domestic service where Peter's mother-in-law would have lived, would it be service in work, service in your family, service in your community, we are called to be the life, live the lives of servant to make much of our Savior and Master Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle says this, When God grants free forgiveness for the past, He also grants strength to minister to Him for the time to come. The sin-sick soul is not merely cured and then left to itself. Far too often uh, we preach, oh, go get saved and then go do what you want. When Jesus heals us of our disease that has caused our soul to die and to waste away, when he breathes life into us by his gracious and merciful touch, we become his joyous servants and servants to those in this world. It is also supplied with a new heart and a right spirit, enabled so to live as to please God. The life enabled by Jesus to please please Him is the life of a servant. See, this is a a little foreshadowing through Peter's mother-in-law being restored. It's a foreshadowing of what it means to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. Later on in uh, chapter 9 of Mark 35 and then Mark 10, you see the, the biggest picture. These same words are repeated in response of what Jesus has done. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Same word. Mark 10, 41 through 45, whoever would be first must be a slave of all. Same word, doula, slave or servant. When Jesus has set you free from the bondage of sin and death, he doesn't send you to go do what you want. He says, come, follow me. In the words of John Wesley in his great hymn, And Can It Be, it says, Long in my sin of, prison, of imprisonment I lay. Jesus came in and it said, I rose, went forth, and I followed him. Because ultimately, the heart of Jesus our Master is the heart of His servants. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, even though He was, wi- uh, he was worthy of to be served by all of humanity. And there will be a day when every tongue confess and knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus came for the first time, He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The pattern of a servant, the pattern of a disciple of Jesus Christ is self-sacrificial service, self-sacrificial love, because it is Jesus in his true love who has sacrificed himself, his rights, his glory, his honor to be able to serve his people. Jesus genuinely cared about the physical plight of the people. Whatever their motivations were, we see not only did Jesus heal this woman that was, had a fever, but later on in our passage, in our narrative, we see that word got out quickly. That Jesus went in the synagogue and he, knocked, he, he, uh, he set free the, the man from the oppression of the demon and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And it says as Sabbath was over, the whole crowd came out to them and they brought the needs and the sick and the diseased and the lame and they brought them to Jesus and the compassionate healing touch of our Savior healed them and made them physically whole. He genuinely Cared about the plight of the people of that town. But above all else, he hoped to direct some to the spiritual reality that came through his touch. And so what Jesus did was gently and lovingly heal them. And he was tireless in his ministry. Ocean Park, if we have been touched by the gracious, loving, forgiving hand of Jesus we are called to rise in faithful service to Him. With joy and gratitude in the service of the One whose touch has made you whole, lay down your former comforts and your desires and your joys and serve the One who made you whole by serving those who are needy and oppressed forgotten and marginalized, confused and dying in this world and tell them of Jesus and bring them to Jesus. Fanny Crosby wrote her classic missionary hymn, Rescue the Perishing, where she says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep, O the erring ones, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save down in the human heart crushed by the tempter feelings lay buried that grace can restore touched by a loving heart wakened by kindness chords that were broken will vibrate once more ocean park we must proclaim the mercy and grace of christ who heals us from our sin, and strengthens our hands so that we can rise and serve Jesus by serving those around us. The forgotten, the marginalized, the difficult, the quirky. Because Christ has come to us and a loving and gracious, forgiving hand, touched us and made us whole and gives us His grace each day to faithfully serve Him remembering all the while that the priority of God's kingdom is the proclamation of the king. Not only do we do that by serving the Lord, but we do that by seeking the Father. Notice as it continues after the, 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 the demands of the day, the evening as people came, and it says uh, the whole, this whole city came out to him. In verse 35, after probably a brief night of rest, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. P.T. Forsyth once said, the worst sin is prayerlessness. Does that surprise you? Because ultimately we think of murder and adultery and all those things as the worst offenses against God and against humanity. But the root of all sin is the self-sufficiency and the independence from the Lord, otherwise known as pride. Pride says, I don't need God. How much of your Christian service is actually going it alone? I'm going to do these things and these things to feel better. Maybe I'm trying to sage my guilt, maybe various motivations. But ultimately, our service should be guided by the the leading and guidance of the Holy, of, of our Heavenly Father. Jesus Himself prayed the man who loved the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind and loved his neighbor as himself, he prayed. And he prayed even as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one through whom all things were made for and through. He desired the sweetness of the fellowship with his Father. When the demands of the crowds drained him, he prayed. When his body was tired and weak, he prayed. When he knew the incredible weight of the task that he was sent to accomplish, he prayed. Before the demands of the days distracted his heart. Before the tyranny of the urgent pulled him from every side. Before the hustle and bustle of his schedule pulled him like an undertow pulls somebody from the beach. Jesus prayed and he sought the strength and the wisdom and the comfort of his heavenly father why because even jesus needed fellowship with the father he sought the guidance and the comfort and the strength and the leading of his father in order to accomplish the purposes for the day what in the world makes us think That if Jesus needed to pray each day and every moment, that we don't need to pray. Shane Waters, who um, we're praying for this week, actually, um, often says the amount that you spent in prayer yesterday was the amount that you needed God. That's humbling. That's sobering. Paul Miller, in a book that we're going through, and this is a plug for discipleship groups every first Monday for ladies, each first Saturday for men. If you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time and money are talent, that are, are, are all that you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired and a little too busy. But if, like Jesus, you realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time to pray. How much did you pray yesterday? How much did you pray this morning? Six minutes? Good. Make it seven tomorrow. Jesus needed his Father like we, needed our, we need our Heavenly Father. Therefore, Jesus found a quiet place where he could be free from the distractions and the demands and the duties of the day and quiet his heart in communion with God. All of us need to find a place where we can go and don't bring our phones and don't bring the children, but find a spot that you can go and quiet your heart and say, Father, I've got a lot to do today. I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I'm scared, I have anxiety, I need your help. I need your sustaining wisdom with the challenges that will find you. I need that find me, I need the self-control to be able to stop the flesh from reacting the way it wants. I need your help to love and care and serve and 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 be more like jesus it was in prayer that jesus found the strength to serve the sick and the oppressed it was in prayer that jesus found the patience to deal with the foolish and demanding and oftentimes it came from his own disciples it was in prayer that jesus found the compassion to see the world through divine eyes we will never be able to accomplish the task god has called us to do if we don't pray For with little prayer comes little help and little strength and little wisdom. We have very little of the mind of Christ, very little of the grace of Christ, very little of the power of the Spirit. Why? Because we have not, but because we ask not. Asking little, you will expect you will receive little. Seeking little, you cannot be surprised if you possess little. It will always be found. When you seek your heavenly father in prayer, grace, strength, peace, hope, in honesty, going before our God and say, I'm worried. I'm scared. I don't like this. And saying, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. Ocean Park, we will always succumb to the tyranny of uh, of the urgent if we succumb to prayerlessness. If we are to be equipped to proclaim Christ as our king, we must seek the Father who equips us for kingdom work, remembering that in prayer we um, set the priority of God's kingdom through the proclamation of this king. Not only do we serve the Lord, not only do we seek the Father, but we are to spread the good news Notice in 36 and 37 is, is Jesus, they found his spot. Like your children when you're eating ice cream at night, they always seem to find where they hear the clink of the bowls and come out and find where you are. The disciples now come out and find Jesus. Verse 36 And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you word of jesus's power had spread rapidly not only through capernaum but through the other towns and that he had healed diseases and he cast out the demons and that spread like wildfire and mark tells us that the whole city was gathered to see jesus the night before to heal their friends and their loved one everyone desired jesus and we begin to realize everyone desired jesus but for the wrong reasons because They didn't really understand the true identity of who Jesus was. Even Peter, who would constantly get himself into trouble by saying silly, stupid things, um, Peter was a distraction and this newly band of commissioned disciples were caught up in the flurry of excitement and the fame and the popularity of their newfound master. Everyone is looking for you. I want you to, when you hear those words, I want you to think of it this way. I would imagine probably all of you at one time or other has gone to a department store or Target or Walmart with either your child or your grandchild, And then one day, one moment, they're with you asking questions and talking, and the next minute you look down and they're nowhere to be found. And what happens? Sheer panic takes over you, and you begin to look and scurry in this flurry of anxiety and fear to find them. And where are they? They're either in the candy aisle, the toy aisle, or the book aisle. And then what do you say? I was looking for you. You had me so worried. And you're you're scolding them. I was so worried. Where did you go? This is the tone of Peter's words. He's scolding Jesus for not doing what he thought Jesus was supposed to be doing. Everyone is looking for you. Don't you know that? You're supposed to be going and healing them. Every time the words looking for you is used in the book of Mark, 10 times it's used, it's always used negatively. Your mother and your brothers are seeking you or looking for you. Why? Because they had thought Jesus had a screw loose. 8.11, the Pharisees were seeking a sign to test him. They wanted to trip him up. Then in 11.18, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking a way, looking for a way to destroy him. And Judas in 14.11, Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. These are always, always, always le- uh, looking and uh, have a negative condemnation. And Peter, the rock which the, that, the, of the disciples was leading this urgent manhunt for Jesus but they were looking for Jesus with false purposes. They wanted Jesus to be whisked away in power and fame and authority. And Peter saw the crowds and he perceived the crowds, Jesus' growing fame, but he still early on in the ministry of Jesus completely misunderstood the purpose for which Jesus has been inaugurated king of the, uh, the kingdom of God. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you here? This is not where you should be. You need to be with the crowds. We're building a following. Things are beginning to happen. You don't have to be here alone and praying. See, the disciples again, and they wouldn't really understand until the resurrection, that they had the incorrect understanding of the mission of Jesus. Yes, Jesus came to to heal and to teach but he had a much greater vision and mission that he was there. Notice verse 38 and 39. And Jesus said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out the demons. Jesus didn't need the notoriety. He didn't need the fame. He didn't need the approval of the crowds and the people to be able to accomplish his mission. Uh, Denise and I and our family have a dear friend who um, is a singer. He and his wife travel the country, and they do really well. Um, but what he does, what the reason they're doing so well, one, they're talented, but people know about him. Why? Because he's on social media all the time. Because if people don't know you, they're not going to show up to your concerts. They're not going to buy your t-shirts. They're not going to get the official merch of the band. They're not going to do that. So what he has to do is he has to really hustle and work hard to stay in the public eye. And we as Christians fall for that same, that, that same thing. And there's nothing wrong. That's why the Tonight Show and stuff exists, that you go get interviewed and, hey, Buy, go to my new movie, buy my new album. But in the, the kingdom, that it's not by the fame of Jesus that the mission is accomplished. It's the heart of the servant who has come. Jesus is not inter- interested in the fleeting adoration of the crowds, and he refuses to go back to Capernaum because it's not the goal of his mission. Jesus' goal was not to heal the crowds and cast out the demons and spread His name. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin and death, and His goal was the cross. And there were people throughout the other towns and the other cities who didn't know the good news of great joy that it was come. The crowds in Capernaum desired spectacular miracles rather than kingdom truths. They were looking for him only for what they could get out of him. Their hearts refused to commit to him even though they got something, they wanted something out of him. The good news of the gospel declares that through the completed work of Christ on the cross, we have peace and we have fellowship with God regardless of the circumstances and the plight that we have on this world and in this life. Jesus refused to allow the tyranny of the urgent to distract him for the mission of of the kingdom. Jesus didn't need the big crowds. He didn't need the name recognition. He didn't need the spotlight to further the kingdom. He needed to be faithful to the Father's plan and to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God for the people to repent of their sin and believe the promises of God question part satan will use the tyranny of the urgent to distract you and distract us as individuals and as the body from accomplishing the mission of the church see if satan can't keep you out of the church or being a part of the church he can so distract you from the work of the that the church is supposed to be doing and making and spreading the good news of the gospel that you actually never hear or proclaim the hope of the gospel, even though you're in the church at the time. You see, we very easily can be like Martha. And Martha was a great lady. But we all know how Martha was too busy to stop from her work and her labor and her service to listen and sit at the feet of Jesus. See, far often the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of the potlucks and the painting and the arts and crafts and the bookkeeping and the building maintenance and the mercy ministries and the endless service projects can prevent us from knowing and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Admittedly, miracles were good, for the ones who received uh, deliverance from their oppression, but if they never understood who Jesus was and why he came, they died in their sin. Brothers and sisters, we can do so much work for the gospel, but we can fail to do the work of proclaiming the gospel. The mission of the gospel of the kingdom is to preach the good news Of who Christ is and what he has done calling to people to repent of their sin and believe the promises of God you cannot fulfill the mission of the kingdom if you're only serving and only working and only doing the work of the kingdom you must proclaim what God has done through Christ to bring us into right relationship with the father but that doesn't mean like as Jenny said this morning the bunker mentality well, we're going to come in and we have a bunker of a church. If you want to come inside, that's fine, but we're not doing anything to go out. No, we go out as servants to go out to the oppressed, the marginalized, the weak, and to deliver them from their temporary needs, all the while being faithful to let them know of the greater need they have of fellowship with God that is stopped because of sin and that sin has separated us from God and it is only the gracious life and death of Jesus that brings us back into right relationship and allows us to have the peace and be able to do the work of the gospel and to proclaim who Christ is and what he has done. See, we work and preach Christ. We serve the weak and the oppressed and the marginalized that they may know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We feed the hungry, we clothe the homeless, and we protect the vulnerable that they may know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love our neighbor, we pray for our enemies, and we love one another that the world may know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The priority of the kingdom of God is making life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ known to a world that is lost in the hopelessness and helplessness of sin. We do that by serving and loving, laying aside our own comfort, our own wants, our own desires, our own kingdoms, and seeking to extend the love of Christ, who did not leave people in the oppression and the tyranny of their sin, but he loved them and touched them by his mercy and grace and called them to follow him. Ocean Park, we will always succumb to the tyranny of the urgency. That's just what we do as sinners. But we will always fail if we do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been called to serve and, have, uh, and to love the constant source of strength and wisdom and encouragement that we have in Christ with the Father. Therefore, we constantly and boldly proclaim the good news of great joy and make it our priority at our home and our work and our lives to make the priority of God's kingdom the proclamation of the King, Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done to a world that is needy and oppressed and needs the love and forgiveness that comes only through Christ.